When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for Tuesday Terror here on the Mutual Audio Network. Be sure to leave the lights on while you listen. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. QuietPlease.org presents Quiet Please, which is written by and features Paul Nero. Quiet Please for tonight is called The Room Where the Stars Live. Do you remember the little house on the edge of Mount Wilson? The house that had nothing inside it? Do you remember the astronomer, Van Dyke? Do you remember the music? The message to the other side of the stars? We thought it was all over. Aliens were going to land on the Earth. They were going to absorb the people of the Earth as it absorbed Dorothy. And that would be that. It'd be like a neat little science fiction story, a cautionary tale to the next species that might think itself master of the Earth. But that was 72 years ago now. And nothing happened. At least, we thought nothing happened. Now, now I know better. And soon, very soon, so will you. And you aren't going to like it one little bit. So if you want to live the rest of your life in peace, I suggest you stop listening right now and go watch some cat videos on YouTube. Still there? Okay. You asked for it? I'll tell you. Listen. On that fateful day in 1949, when the beings from Alpha Centauri were due to land on our Earth, I was with Steve. You remember, Dorothy's brother Steve. We drove up to the top of Mount Wilson together after dark that evening, because somehow it seemed like the appropriate spot to meet our fates. We were greeted there by Van Dyke, as if he'd been expecting us. Van Dyke guided us wordlessly to the hundred-inch telescope. Steve was looking through the lens when the thing happened. The stars, they're all gone. Is there something blocking the lens? No. What? 
What else could it be? It hasn't been a cloud all night. There's never fog up this high. You should both step outside with me and see. I don't think you want to miss this. Miss what? Nothing. What do you mean by nothing? Come. Now look up. And there wasn't a star in the ink-black sky, but that wasn't the strangest part of what we saw. Steve noticed it first. The moon? And there, high overhead, was the moon. Clear as can be, almost full, in the middle of an empty sky. Can you explain that? All the stars disappearing on a clear night, but the moon's still so clear you can make out Tycho Crater with your unaided eyes, just south of Marinubium, the Sea of Clouds. No, you can't explain it. Neither can I. Nobody can. No human, anyway. Wait a moment. Five more seconds. Keep watching. It's back. But how? How can the whole sky except the moon disappear one minute and then just reappear the next minute? How can that even make sense? Van Dyke? You wouldn't understand anyway. What happens now? Nothing. And the way the old astronomer spoke that simple word sent a chill down my spine in a way the cold mountain air never could. There were reports in newspapers the next morning of a strange atmospheric phenomenon. Most people hadn't seen it. Those who did quickly wrote it off as another of those countless things in life which can't be understood but have to be brushed aside so we can get on with our lives and preserve our sanity. Only Steve, Van Dyke, and myself knew that something significant had happened. And only Van Dyke knew what it was, and he wasn't telling. After that day, Steve and I went our separate ways. I moved to a marketing job for a chemical plant in Van Nuys. I don't know what happened to Steve. I do know what happened to Van Dyke. It wasn't until 1967 that the next thing happened. I was retired by then, and I had a thought to come back up to the observatory one night, just to banish once and for all the uneasiness that had been keeping me away all these years. You know how it is when you're getting up there in years and you feel like you've got unfinished business. And even though you don't really want to deal with it, you haven't got the excuse for taking up your time anymore to put it off. So I drove up the long winding road, reaching a little parking lot at the top, got out and stopped a moment to admire the city lights a mile below me. Taking in that magnificent view, my worries began to fade away. But then something caught my attention from the corner of my eye. 
a little house made of corrugated iron sheets with a high-peaked roof hanging on the edge of the mountain. It was the house with nothing in it. Somehow I was drawn to the house, despite my fear of it. I walked over and pressed my hand against the cold iron door, reassuring myself that it was real, and not just a figment of my imagination all these long years. It was locked, of course. I might have jumped ten feet in the air when I felt the hand on my shoulder, and another five when I heard the familiar voice. You're back. You're... you're... You're still here, after all these years. Oh, I must be dead by now. Well, it's been almost twenty years, and you were... Could you take your hand off my shoulder, please? You want to see inside? I'll show you. I can't see anything. Go on in. There's nothing in there. That's right. Go on in. I... I don't want to. I want to leave. Why don't you? I... I can't move. Let me go. I'm not holding you. Your voice... What's... Go on in. Now. And with that, he gave me a shove I wouldn't have thought possible for a man of his age. I fell forward, and then suddenly there was no forward or backward anymore, just nothing all round. How can I possibly describe nothing for you? I suppose I can tell you how it made me feel. Weightless, a little nauseous, hot but unable to sweat, wholly constricted somehow, despite nothing to constrict me. Seconds seemed to stretch into hours. I tried to draw in a breath and found I couldn't. There was nothing in there to breathe. I started clawing desperately at the lack of air to try to turn myself around. It was hopeless, of course. You can't move when there's nothing to move in. A while later, it's hard to say how long since time loses meaning there, I began to hear a faint music. I recognized it as the music from the other side of the stars, the music Dorothy had first heard at the bottom of the old well with the Spanish soldiers so many years ago. As the music grew, somehow my need to breathe subsided. I thought my terror was receding, but then I realized it was I myself who was receding. My thoughts suppressed and finally replaced by the music from the other side of the stars. That's right. I was absorbed. No, I didn't disappear into a little gray-green ball like Dorothy did. They are just as capable of inhabiting our bodies as they are of absorbing our bodies into theirs. And apparently they found my body convenient for some purpose. 
No, I'm not an alien. I was one for over fifty years, but I'm not now. They can grow old, and they can die, see? They usually live a very long time. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of years. But I got lucky. The one who absorbed me was very old. He, or it, whatever you want to call them, died a few weeks ago. When the music finally faded out, I was back. It was almost like time travel for me. One moment I was in 1967, then I woke up in the 21st century. I look perhaps five years older than I did in 67. It seems our bodies age much slower while absorbed. I have only the vaguest impressions of the missing years, which manifest only in nightmares whose horrors I can't begin to convey. It's quite a shock, let me tell you, waking up over half a century after you fell asleep. I couldn't even figure out how to work a telephone, they've changed so much. I thought the future was going to be flying cars and moon colonies, but it turns out instead it's miniature computers everywhere. Hadn't you better get back to the story? We may not have much time. You're right, of course. I shouldn't get sidetracked. The stakes here for the entire Earth are a lot more important than my personal musings. Anyway, it's taken me some time to piece things together, to work out some of what I, or rather the alien in my body, was doing all these years. The clues led me right back to Mount Wilson. I worked out they've been building something there all these years, something from nothing behind the door of the odd old building. Finally, last night, I got it in my head to figure this thing out once and for all. I waited for the work crew to arrive, waited for them to unlock the door or to go inside. I waited another five minutes, then walked up and tried the door, only to realize the workers locked it behind them. I wasn't surprised at all to see Van Dyke stroll up, looking not a day over eighty, fifty-plus years after we'd last met. Good evening. Haven't seen you lately. I've uh, been on another project temporarily. Welcome back. I'm heading home now. Did you lose your key? Yeah, we'll be right behind you. Lucky I came along. Two fears were at war within me. I was afraid of re-entering that empty room where I'd lost myself, of losing myself again. But I was more afraid of what Van Dyke and his colleagues would do to me if they discovered my fear. So, I followed him. just nothing anymore. Imagine, if you can, a small room that's mostly nothing, but with a spherical structure in the middle somehow dwarfing the room itself. The room is maybe 15 feet wide, the sphere about 30. It hangs there as if ignorant of gravity. It has no real edges, just kind of fades. In the middle of the sphere, a strange, blinding landscape. Not an image, but an actual three-dimensional landscape. From all around comes the sound of the music, 
the voices of conclave of beings from another world. At this time, the music didn't seem to take an interest in me, didn't overwhelm my mind. I saw Van Dyke float towards the portal, then threw it into whatever was beyond. I had no control over my movements, no choice but to follow him through. Until that moment, I had never known heat. You can taste the crackling of the air, a burning on your tongue and up your nose. The winds reach out and lash at you, gouge at your skin with the sand. Every breath is an effort. It's a world of two colors, the white of the endless dunes and the red of the sky. Toward the horizon, a pair of blazing white suns blinded me. I ran, without any idea where I was going, knowing only that anywhere would have to be better than where I was. I don't know how long I ran. When I couldn't run any longer, I fell. I don't know how much later it was when I awoke. It was dark, and the heat was more bearable. It was almost silent, with just a hint of the wind in the distance. And I had a strong feeling that I wasn't alone. Who's... who's there? Where am I? What have you done with me? You're lucky I found you. You wouldn't have lasted much longer with the suns getting higher. You haven't answered my questions. Name's Mitchell. Don't worry, I'm human. Geologist by trade, not that it matters here. You're in a cave. I'm Iso. How'd you get here? Same way as you. Maybe from a different place. I came through a little building at the Meyer Womble Observatory. That's on Mount Evans in Colorado. There are portals all around the Earth that lead here. Do... they know we're here? Maybe. I don't think they care. We just don't really matter to them. Like insects. Only worth swatting if we become a nuisance. Water? Thanks. Been here long? Long enough. What do you mean by that? Long enough to know that there's no way back. No way forward. No way to save the human race. not the first humans to find this cave. There are journals going back 50 years. People just like us. They all thought they'd get back to Earth. They thought they'd warn us. None of them did. What do you think happened to them? Just a guess, but I suppose they're scanned in some way when they enter the portal from this side, then absorbed. Did you know they can take over our bodies? Happened to me once. You're quite lucky then. Maybe we can only be absorbed once. Maybe they can't detect that I'm not still absorbed? Sorry, no. There's some like you in the journals. They outlived their controllers. They came here to investigate.
the hell is that? It happens every day, everywhere. I like to think it's some sort of religious thing. How? We probably wouldn't understand it if they explained it to us. We'd be like ants trying to understand how a circuit board works. What about radio signals? Pardon? Could radio signals get back through the portal? Maybe. I don't know. I don't see why not. I've got a transmitter in my pocket. I left a repeater in my car back on Mount Wilson. I know radio is old tech to you, but I'm an old man. That's what I know. Someone could hear us. We aren't going to make it back. I'm not being pessimistic, that's just the facts. Technically, I'm 115 years old, so I suppose it's no real tragedy in my case. But perhaps my warning can make it back without me, with your help. Perhaps there's still time for you to do something to save your world. This is what I've learned, friend. The invasion happened that day in 1949, without any of us noticing. The visitors from the other side of the stars didn't choose to conquer cities like the aliens of science fiction stories, because they consider us an inferior form of intelligence and have no use for our cities. They rarely absorb people. Most of them prefer to retain their natural state. They can live anywhere, but mostly they choose to live in the hot deserts like the Mojave or the Sahara, where the climate is closest to their home planet. Relieved? Not so fast. They're patient people, very methodical. They've decided to adjust our climate to be more like theirs, a climate where a scorching Sahara summer is the norm planet-wide. They've decided to achieve this not by taking any great action of their own, but simply by manipulating human society and waiting for the result. Have you heard the reports about the disappearing Arctic sea ice? Or about Antarctic ice shelves, thousands of years old, breaking apart in a matter of weeks? Did you read about the recent heat wave up in Canada? The fires in California, burning with an intensity never before seen? Global warming, they say. Listen carefully on a hot day this summer, and you may hear a faint, unearthly music on the wind. The title of today's Quiet Please story was The Room Where the Stars Live. It was written by Paul Narum, and the man who spoke to you was Paul Narum. And Paul Moss played Van Dyke. Mitchell was Lindsay Townsend. Steve was Gary Wallen. The theme for Quiet Please is taken from the second movement of César Franck's Symphony in D minor, as performed by the Detroit Symphony Orchestra in 1964. This program is licensed for free reuse and redistribution.
Hello, I'm John Bell of Bells in the Bat Free. It's a comedy podcast. Fridays and every other Sunday. Well, anyway, back in episode five of Bells in the Bat Free, we introduced the cowlets, tiny little cows. Where did all these cats come from? They're not cats, they're cows, and they're heading toward the water cooler. Stop it before... Now you can display your love of these tiny cows with genuine cowlet t-shirts. You know what's really fun to do with these shirts? Get a whole bunch of people to buy them. Then you all gather together and run down the street. People will see these cowlets coming toward them and think it's a stampede. You think that would really work, Brad? Shh, I'm pushing for bulk sales here. You can also get cowlet mugs, clocks, and other items. Just go to thebatfree.com and click on shop. This is a limited time offer. No, it's not. You just do not not understand advertising, do you? Get your merchandise today with the official Cowlet design created by Jeff Music. Buying lots of them would bring music to my ears. Oh, stop. Stop.